You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. We're in the middle of our series, Blessed. How many people feel blessed? Anyone blessed? Blessed with uh, great days and blessed with bad days. Blessed with mountaintops and valleys. Well, this, this is a week where I am standing here blessed and sick. Blessed and sick. Sick and blessed. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes actually um, to preach a message like this when you are in the middle of just physically not doing so well, it's actually good because we've been talking about the blessing of God. And uh, this last week for the Devetters, it's not been a great week physically. Like, you know, we've all been sick. Josiah tested positive for COVID. I don't have COVID, just tested, all right? I'm okay. But the whole family's just been down. This morning, we had to deal with the mucus vomit. You guys had the mucus vomit before? Where it's so like, like deep in the, the chest and then all it comes out through the nose and the mouth. So that all came out this morning. That wasn't me, but one of my children. Um, Amy is home with a pretty rotten flu and cold, and I am blessed. No, I, I mean that. I really, really mean that because if we're not blessed in our bad days, if we just pick and choose when things are going well, then, then we really don't understand what it means to truly be blessed. I'm not feeling well, but I am blessed. I am in the middle of God's favor and blessing. We've been looking at uh, the, the Beatitudes, and we're up to number six this week. Let me, let me read this passage that we've been focused on. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, this is Jesus, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, come on, this, this gets really good from here, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Come on, who's blessed this morning? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are blessed because you are with us. Your very presence is the blessing, the only blessing that we need. God, I pray our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, our minds would be open to hear from you today. Lord, let my words, they might get a bit muddled today. But God, I pray that your word would get through so loud and clear into every heart and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at this word blessed from the word makarios, which, which talks about this deep inner sense of contentment. That even in the middle of the bad, the horrible, the difficult, we can still experience a blessing which is the very presence of God in our hearts. Over the last five weeks, we've been walking a journey, moving step by step. It's almost like climbing a mountain or, or climbing a ladder as we are gaining our understanding of what it means to be blessed and truly live a blessed life. We've been learning that, that a blessed life begins first with the acknowledgement that we are not enough. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
know, when we come to that point, we recognize we are spiritually bankrupt. We do not have what it takes. When we get to that place, it's the starting point of growing in our relationship with God. Then there's an acknowledgement that we mourn. There's a godly mourning that we mourn for the state of our sinful nature and that we would pursue God with all of our heart. We learned about being meek, that it means that we don't have to lose our temper and get angry because our, our anger is a righteous anger and we don't have to defend ourselves. We simply just live our lives defending God and God's truth. But we have this controlled anger within us. There we learned about the need to hunger and thirst for righteousness and that, that when we long for God's word and his presence, we will be filled. We'll be filled with the presence of God, the knowledge of him. And then we found out last week that if we can take a step of showing mercy to someone else, God himself will show mercy to us. And here we find ourselves that bliss are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, and this morning, I want to, as we look at this passage, I, I want to do a bit of a word study. So there's a few key things that jump out in this passage. The word heart, pure, and what does it mean to see God? And we're going to just work our way through these thoughts this morning. Let's start with the word heart, which comes from the, the, the Greek word cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A. Now, we understand cardiac, matters of the heart. How many people know if your heart stops working? That's it. We stop working. That's it. It's, it's really, really important. Our heart is a significant organ within our body. Some others can go into failure, but when the heart goes, it's all over. It's all over. Now, the heart is so much more than just a, an organ that pumps blood and oxygen through our system. In fact, as we read Scripture, you look at all other cultures, languages, the word heart is very often used to describe something much deeper than just an organ pumping blood. It speaks of, of, of a mind, of a will, of emotions. When we think of giving our heart to something, it's, it's everything that we are given. Scripture brings a different level of understanding beyond feelings and emotions. Come on, we are, we are living in a world where our feelings are determining what we do, and I don't think it's great. What's happening in our world right now, if I feel it, then I can just be that or believe that or become that. We have to be very careful with our feelings. My feelings can lead me astray. My feelings can lead me away from God and not towards Him. It speaks of a thinking process and specifically our will. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks or she thinks in his heart, so is he. So the things I think about, the thoughts that I have, I become that. So if I am filling my heart and my mind with thoughts of evil, I will become evil in my actions and my behavior. If I fill my heart and mind with things that are fearful and, and anxious thoughts, then I will become a person who is prone to anxiety and fear. If I think about things that are pure and lovely and I dwell on the good things in others, as it tells us in Philippians, then I will begin to develop a pure heart that might see God. Even Jesus challenged a group of the scribes in Matthew and Mark saying, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? thinking evil in our hearts. Our heart is the control center of our mind, will, and emotion. 
maybe at school you were given this kind of a report. Um, while Mike struggles academically, he's got a good heart. <laughs> or <laughs> maybe lacking in the skills in the football field, but he has a good heart. We've heard that phrase before. Yeah, that person has a good heart. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't back up that theology. This is actually what the Bible says about our heart. It's not good news to start with, but the good news comes when we understand the bad news. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Like all things, so you consider all things above that, that's the deceitful and wicked heart. And desperately wicked, who can know it? Not a lot of confidence in the old ticker, right? What hope is there for us? The Israelites knew, they understood this. They, they understood the importance of the heart. God in Genesis, he, he wiped out all the people on the earth. Why? Because he'd seen the wickedness of man and the evil intent of our hearts. That is who we are. They're also, they also had the Proverbs of Solomon. This is what Solomon said, Proverbs 4.23. And this is such good advice for all of us. doesn't matter what age we are. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard it, protect it, wrap safety devices around your heart. For out of it spring the issues of life. So a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. So Jesus enters this religious system where purity and righteousness was all about the acts. So, so, so in order to be pure and clean, an Israelite would, would think that I've got to follow this procedure, this protocol, and if I do this, I will remain pure. So if you touch a dead body, you've got to go outside of the camp for however many days, and you've, and you, and you've got to purify yourself. You've got to bathe, and you've got to go through all of this purification ritual, and then I'm pure again. And Jesus says, no, that, that's not the purity I'm talking about. Some of those religious laws were there for a reason, for the health and well-being. It was kind of like a health and safety manual in a lot of ways when you look at the laws. So people would actually take care of themselves and would actually be well. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus speaks of the blessing of being pure of heart, and the religious people of the day would say, no, Jesus, it's more about the rule keeping. Let's keep the rules, and that's where purity comes. But then we see the second word. So we're talking about heart. We see the second word, pure, a Greek word, katharos, which means to be clean, to be physically pure. And as you hear the word, you'll hear a word we use in English, catharsis. Catharsis is used in psychology and counseling as a, as a cleansing of the mind or emotions. Catharsis is related to the Latin word castus, which we get the word chasten or to chastise, referring to the process of discipline. And the Greek term was often used when it comes to describing metals that are refined or purified. Now, when you look at the, the, the purification of metal, the, the refiner would heat up the metal. And it would heat it up to a particular level. And then at different levels with different metals, there would be a level of impurity that would, 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 be, would be raised to the surface and then would be pulled aside. And so so there, 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 was a, there was a heating up and then impurity is revealed and the refiner skims that off. And then it's heated up again to another level. And at another level another lot of impurity is exposed and, and swept aside. Isn't that what God does with us? Come on, if, if, when you gave your life to Christ, when you made your decision, 
you know, God dealt with some stuff really quickly. Like some of those basic things were dealt with, and, and it's like, okay, yes, God, you can have that. Boom, it goes. But then the further you go in your relationship with God, the deeper your maturity with Him, as that develops, things get heated up, and all of a sudden, you're dealing with attitudes. You're dealing with offense. You're dealing with unforgiveness. All that stuff that didn't surface in the early days, all of a sudden God says, yeah, what about 20 years ago when? And our hearts are ready because there's a maturing process that's taken place. If God did that and asked for that, sometimes he does right from the start. Sometimes salvation is a matter of forgiveness. Forgiving someone else is, is to receive his forgiveness. But God will often heat us up, allow us, if we would stay in the fire, to be refined, to become more like him. What is the goal of the refiner? To be able to look into that metal and see his own reflection. That's God's heart is that he would look into our hearts and he would see a heart that's been purified and that we would see God and he would see us. He sees us, obviously, but we would see him. One of the greatest challenges we face as followers of Jesus is something called double-mindedness. Jesus teaches this later in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. James puts it this way, James chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourselves an enemy of God. Verse 8, he goes on and he says, cleanse your hands, purify your heart, you double-minded. If we're double-minded, we're, we're, not, we're not serving God. And it's a challenge. It's a wrestle. We're all going through it. I'm wrestling with it every day like you are. And what do we do with that wrestle? So let's remember our journey so far. We learned that our first response must be to recognize we're sinners, that there is a poverty of spirit. We are poor in spirit. We're not perfect, never will be. In our lifetime, there will be faults, there will be failures. We will fall on our face more times than we care to hope for. But there is hope every time we give ourselves to the refiner to do his work. Friends, it's important to realize that purity isn't achieved by our standards, by what we do, the things that we achieve. Jesus knew that. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they wanted to hold their ground. They're like, we, we get comfort in knowing that if we follow these laws, by the law, we are pronounced righteous. Jesus says, no, there's a deeper work that I want to do, and it's a work of your heart, that control center for your heart, for your head, your mind, your will, your emotions. And Jesus, he raises the bar. If it wasn't already high enough, he raises it another level just at the end of chapter 5. He says, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm like, I quit. <laughs> like, like one failure is not perfect. Just one failure. You fail once. It's over. Now, I've got to read this. Like, this isn't really encouraging, Mike. Well, no, our sin is not. Our sin is devastating. It destroys everything that we touch. And yet we have a God that says, you will be perfect. I'm going to make you perfect. It's a work that he does in our life. 
And he will continue to make us perfect. It's, a, it's not a one time. It's a process where he is perfecting his bride. He's going to return for his church, his bride that he loves so dearly. He's washing us clean. He's cleaning us at the moment, cleansing us of all the stuff that we want to hold on to, that double-mindedness. He's saying, I want you to pursue me. I want you to fall in love with me over and over again. And so at this point, we throw our hands in the air and say, what could I possibly offer to Jesus? Not a lot, really, <laughs> but we can offer surrender. You know, in fact, Paul, the great apostle Paul, who wrote a good third of the New Testament, he has this wrestle. Romans 7, he says, I do the things I don't want to do. And then the things I want to do, I, no, no, I should do. I, I don't do those things because I'm afraid, I'm scared, whatever. Isn't that your wrestle? You know what's right, you know what's wrong, and you find yourself, oh, gone, done it again. What do we do with that? Well, we become more sincere, don't we? Because sincerity is great, isn't it? Let's, let's, let's be more intentional. Sincerity does not produce purity any more than our righteous acts. Many religions show incredible sincerity. Devoted followers fast. They give of their time and their money and, they, and they, they sleep on beds and nails and walk over fire in order to please the deity, to worship this God in order to purify themselves. And yet it doesn't produce what we think it does. Thomas Watson once said, morality can drown a man as fast as vice or sin. So you can pursue morality for the wrong reason and it can drown you as quickly as sin can. Another, a vessel may sink with gold or dung. <laughs> How true is that? If our hearts are not pure and God sees our hearts. And that's what Jesus was coming after with the Pharisees. Remember in the week one, we talked about the fact that makarios meant blessed and, and woe means cursed. Jesus had some stuff to say to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and it wasn't good. This is what he said. Woe to you, cursed scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So, so it's not that you don't do those things, but these things you missed in the process. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and that the outside of them may be clean also. You know, we can spend so much time trying to work on the outside appearance when we come into, even into church or into a small group. And you know what, sometimes I just, I'm okay with people turning up going, man, I'm just not doing good today. Like, that's a great starting point because I can pray with you on that. You know, I want this to be a place. I want this to be a place where we can, I can stand up and go, I'm not feeling good today, but I'm here. That we would have this heart that says it's not quite right, but God, I want to do life with some people who recognize that they haven't got it all together, but God, you do and you're working great things in our lives. Four times in this passage, Jesus says, woe, woe to you if you don't repent. So do we quit? Do we give up? Of course not. The good news is coming. It's coming, I promise. 
At the point of realizing we can't achieve purity on our own merits, we must acknowledge our need for God. And we must choose to put ourselves in the hands of the refiner, the one, the only one who can take our impurity, skim that off, and create something pure and holy. When you think about it, there are only two types of religion, if you're broadly speaking. There's the religion of human achievement, and then there's the religion of divine accomplishment. So human achievement is broken down into probably two schools of thought. It's the thought of the mind. It's, it's the work of the mind. So it's, it's you know, theology and, um, you know, great, you know, I can't even find my words today. Um, knowledge, understanding, trying to get this thought process that, that makes sense and trying to make sense of the universe. Then there's the work of the hands. So I do these good things, and if I do these good things, then, then I'm, I'm fulfilling the call of this religion. But biblical Christianity is a work of divine accomplishment. It's all God through Jesus and the work of his Holy Spirit. When we understand this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We see God when we understand that He is the one that purifies our heart. And you know what the cool spillover of that is? That we actually become better people. We're better people to be around. We're kinder. We're more thoughtful. We're more generous. When we have a relationship with God, people go, I, I kind of like being around that person. And you might have even had people say, I just enjoy being around you. You know, I want to be playing in my football team, and I, I, want, I want the guys to go, I enjoy hanging out with Mike. I enjoy being a friend. I, I enjoy connecting with him. And hopefully I'm adding value to them because I'm trying to live my life before God. And so we've got to choose. Will I surrender? Will I surrender my life, my heart, my will, my emotions into the hands of the refiner? I'm waving a white flag. Anyone else going to wave a white flag today? Saying, God, I'm waving a white flag. I surrender. I give up. I can't do this. But I surrender myself to you. And here's three things that we can do. Number one, we must surrender to God's saving grace. We're saved by, by faith. The grace. It's not by our works so that we could boast about it. But it's the powerful working of grace in our lives. When you think about it, we can't produce one holy moment in our own strength and our ability. We don't have it in us, but God does. And yet God says, be holy as I am holy. How can a God, a holy God, make a command like that for us? Be holy. So I can't. Yes, you can. I can become holy by surrendering to the saving work of grace. What does that mean? Guess what? We're back to number one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, <laughs> for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are fully aware of the sin in their life. That's what God wants to do. James says, as we draw near to God, He draws near to us. He's moved by our movement towards Him. As you may know, I'm a hugger. Today's a bad day for me because I'm like, 
I want to hug you, but I, I don't want you to have what I'm having. You know, this is not a dinner we share. This is something I want to kind of keep to myself. And so I've kind of rejected a few hugs this morning, my normal hugs that I'm going after. But anyone had one of those weird hugs before? Where you, you, you don't know quite whether it's supposed to be a hug. You kind of lean in and that person, they're like a brick wall and they kind of hug you back like this. You know, nudge that person next to you if they're that hugger. I'm kind of like, I'm the lean in. I'll just, I'll just take it all, you know. That's just, that's just me. That's the kind of hugging. Some people don't like that. It's like, okay. You know, and, and you know, you've got to be careful. Huggers, got to be careful with non-huggers. No, truly, because it can be a, an advance on somebody's comfort and their, and their privacy. And I've had those conversations with people too. It's like, please don't hug me. I'm like, right, okay, all good. No, I honor that. I really do. But, man, I've had some awkward hugs over the years. I, I had, a, had a hug that I thought I was going in for a hug, but... This guy was going in for a hongi. He ended up being more like a headbutt and almost a kiss. I was like, oh, it's just one of those really weird moments. And I, but you know, there's, there's something about a hug that is, I lean in offering something. Now, will that person lean in and offer that back? Will they lean in and embrace or will they go, no, thank you? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I, I, think, I think when you look at the story of the prodigal son, the father was standing waiting. The moment the son ran to him, he ran to him. As we take a step, God's already in motion taking a step to us. But it has to be. This is love. Love says we choose. Love says I give of myself. I give what I, what I don't know. If, I'm not sure if I can give that away. There's a vulnerability when we give of ourselves fully to someone, when we surrender our lives to somebody. But here's what I love. 1 John 1, 9, one of the most freeing verses in all of Scripture. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from three or four of the things we've done wrong, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, a whole lot. Friends, at that moment, guess what? You are pure. Your heart is pure in that very moment. We are only ever one prayer away from having a pure heart. Now, we might go out and fall in the mud again, and then we confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, now this is not to say we go out and sin and do more sin. And Paul had that wrestle. He was like, do we sin more to get more grace? He goes, no, 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 no. But the more we get into that habit of God today, I'm, God, I just need you. God, please forgive me. Right there is a pure heart, a pure heart surrendered to God. As the team come this morning, second thing we can do is we can surrender to God's holy word. We need a plumb line, friends. We need a plumb line to build our lives upon. We need a foundation to build our lives upon. And His Word is enough for everything. In 100 years, in 200 years, in 1,000 years, whatever, however long it takes, the Word of God will not change. It will not be not relevant. It will still remain relevant because it is the foundation that we build our lives upon. I, if I build my life on my feelings, I'm in big trouble. 
And I know there's lots of conversations out there and lots of people wrestling with lots of different things. And you know what we need to do? We need to extend mercy and grace and love and have conversations and be okay to have those conversations and open up the Word of God and reveal the truth of God to people. We've got to get used to having those awkward and strange and weird conversations with people and not hide from them, but actually say, can I tell you what I know about God from His Word? I love Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. It's an acrostic poem with 22 stanzas or 22 sections, each one representing one of the Hebrew letters of the alphabet, the A to Z, so to speak. And in 176 verses, almost every single one of those verses, there is a mention of the law, the Torah, the Word of God. It's, it's like this, how do we keep our hearts pure? We go to the Word of God. Psalm 119, 11, I learned it as a, as a young person. I have hidden your Word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. See, when I have God's Word in my heart, that means that when sin approaches with temptation, so when temptation comes, what's in me? If the Word of God is in me, I can just simply speak like Jesus said. It is written. It is written. That's all we need to do. We speak the Word of God into a situation and then we walk it out in faith and believe it even if we don't feel it. Sometimes we've got to speak a word of faith. And as we speak it and as we walk it out, that action becomes a work of God. I've had conversations over the years and about living godly life, a biblical life. Um, some dear friends of ours and have shared a bit of the story they have in, in the past. A few years ago, they wanted to take their next steps in God. And I, I said, there's a couple of things that you need to do first. You've been raising some amazing kids, but you got to get married. you got to take this next step. It was a nervous conversation because I'd had that conversation with people before and we're out of here. Don't want to hear that. <laughs> Can't read the Word of God and see it any other way. That is God's heart. That is God's desire. So we had this conversation. You know what? They, they said, okay. They said, okay. We went, went about and got them married in lockdown. <laughs> Amazing. And the work that God has done in their life is unbelievable. And I really felt in preparing today that there's some people that you know what? You love God. You're here. You're worshiping Him. You're giving Him everything. And you are so welcome here regardless of the decisions you make. But I believe there is a blessing that God wants to bestow on your life by getting married. The person you're with, you're committed to them. It's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. And, and, and maybe there's lots of questions, lots of things that you're thinking about. Do I, you know, cost and all that kind of stuff. Here's my deal. Here's my personal guarantee. I can take your wedding if you're okay with that. It'll cost you nothing. This place, it's free. Invite some people to bring a, a shared lunch, a plate. All it's going to cost you is a marriage license, and that's it. It doesn't have to be 500 strong with a budget of $50,000. Just make a commitment to each other. That would be my commitment to you, and I really believe that's for some people today.
And this is not to judge you. Please hear my heart. Please hear my heart. What God wants for you and your family is a part of just being true to His Word. So please come and talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Thirdly, I'm sorry, I'm just going a bit long. <laughs> surrender to God's Holy Spirit. Lastly, the third thing that we have to do as part of our surrender is we have to surrender to God's Holy Spirit. When Jesus was speaking to His disciples, He said this in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He, will, he hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and He will, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. Holy Spirit wants to reveal truth and reveal truth to us and lead us in it. Friends, today, will we choose the refining process? Will we allow God to put us in the fire, take us through the fire so that we would be heated up? It was painful in the fire, but in, that, in the fire, the, the impurities will be exposed and God lovingly and gently just removes that from us. And we say, heat me up again. Let me go again. Purify me again. If we would allow God to do that, there is a work He will do in our lives. We don't have to hide. Don't have to resist. We can run to the refiner. When we say, I've got nothing good that's within me, but I recognize God in you, goodness, mercy, forgiveness, abundance of joy that's what he offers us that's why we go to him blessed are the pure of heart for they will see God friends in that place of surrender God himself makes us holy and pure and this is how we see God in the Greek it's a future indicative tense which means literally they shall be continuously seeing God for themselves God does that work of purity in our hearts. He does a work that we can't do. And the purification takes place. We see God. Psalm 25, 14. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. With them, He shares the secret of His covenant. We don't want God as a friend as much as we need to be a holy God who is loving but also righteous and just. Friends, your heart can be pure through the work of God, through the work of the cross, through the work of what Jesus has done. Today as you came in, you should have received a little uh, container here with some bread and some juice. If you haven't and you'd like to take communion with us this morning, please stick your hand up and one of our team 
We'll come and put one of those. Just keep your hand up until it arrives to you. Thank you so much. In the top tab, there's a wafer which speaks of the bread. Jesus spoke of the bread that was broken, His body that was broken. For the healing of our bodies, the, the juice represents the blood that was shed, that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sin. That even though we've sinned, even though we were guilty of judgment, Jesus says, I'm going to take that curse on me. He who was without sin became sin to fulfill the righteousness of God. And friends, today as we take communion, you realize communion is such a beautiful way to live and walk in purity. It truly is. Because every time we commune with God, every time we have this moment with Him, we go through this process of surrender and giving ourselves to Him, surrendering to God's mercy, surrendering to His Holy Word, and surrendering to Holy Spirit. So this morning, would you eat and drink and offer a simple prayer to God? Saying, God, I desire to have a pure heart. For anything impure in me, I confess that to you. I confess that sin. And I ask you to make me clean. Make me whole. And then, friends, enjoy the purity of God as one who's had their sins forgiven. Let's take a moment now. Father, the joy of knowing that our sins would not be counted against us because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Oh, what joy fills our hearts to know that even though we were stuck in our sin, Jesus, you came, you gave yourself to be a perfect sacrifice, to pay the price that we deserve to pay. So today we say thank you. And maybe for some this morning, it's time to acknowledge your need for God. Maybe you've never, ever surrendered your life fully to God. Today, would this be your day? You say, God, I need you. I need you. I am lost without you. If that's you today, I would love to lead you in a simple prayer to confess the sin that separates us from God, to give ourselves fully to Him, to say, Jesus, I want you to lead me now. I'm done leading life my own way. I want to follow you with all of my heart. Recognizing that only God can make us pure. And in surrendering our lives to Him, we become the pure in heart that might see God. That's you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you pray a simple prayer after me? You can pray it out loud or just pray it in your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. I acknowledge that I have sinned. And today I turn, I repent, I ask you to forgive me. 
from today, I ask you to be my Lord, to be in charge of my life. May my decisions honour you. Thank you for your gift of grace. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Centre podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.